Hello, hello, and welcome to uh, the first of a new, as yet unnamed, uh, podcast uh, with me, Alex, and joined by Tom. Hi, Tom. Hello, how are you doing? All right, yeah, not bad. Looking forward to this, looking forward to a bit of chat. I'm about very sport. excited about this. <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Yeah, we are going to need uh, a name for this at some point. Um, so I think hopefully we'll come up with something organic in, in today's uh, live yeah. episode and, and that's what it'll oh, be right. forever that sounds like a plan well a lack of plan but <laughs> an idea anyway uh, so right okay it's the right shall we kick off then with uh i suppose we should start with some news some sports news from the past week you've got anything uh, you wanted to mention um yeah so um there's a couple of things i mean is it worth just talking about what our structure is going to be and what our what the aim of the pod is generally our well um, thought through structure and aim yes go on yeah. so um it will be to talk about sport and largely about events that mean a lot to us but are happening either coming up or have just happened um mm. so there'll be i would think a lot of reminiscing about the 80s and 90s yeah um and a lot of messing about but and a lot of moaning about modern sport and how it's not as good as it used to be, I would think. Absolutely, yeah. That would be a, a core tenet of it, I would think. Yeah. Um, and some obscure sports references as well. Yeah. Littered throughout, I'm, I don't doubt. <laughs> and if recent days are anything to go by, some very niche stats, which is mm-hmm. so contrived they're virtually meaningless, <laughs> which is my favourite type of stat. So. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So people who love those things will, will find a good home here. Yeah, hopefully so. Good. All right. Should we start with the news then? Yes. So, um, I, as you know, I, I'm an Aston Villa fan, mm. um, and there was there was two things that annoyed me recently. So, I, I, the first thing I was going to talk about was offside, and okay. how um, Villa had a goal ruled uh, against them, which was ruled onside when it was the most clear offside I've ever seen in any interpretation of the rules, apart from the current rules, apparently. <laughs> and then this about, is a Tyrone Mings incident, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then about a week later, um, it was then ruled that, that it was clarified actually it was offside after all. Mm. Um, so I, I wasn't too worried about that. You know, it is what it is. I'm a bit annoyed about... Um, was VAR because I feel like it still gives you loads of 50-50 decisions and I think Villa have been on the wrong side of all the 50-50 decisions we've had so far but I'm sure that will go back the other way but what I loved was the completely unreasonable response and lack of nuance on Twitter which is one of my modern beefs um, but uh, so that was the goal we made at 1-0, we lost 2-0 mm. to Man City but people demanding that we were given a point um, because the first goal shouldn't have counted and people being absolutely mental on Twitter and it's linked to the other thing that that I really resent is that any time any account from Aston Villa put anything on Twitter the first response will be from a Leeds fan saying you're only in this league because goal line technology wasn't turned on in one game wow which was the first game after lockdown, and we had eight or nine games after that. And yep. you think, well, you know, 
there would have been at least one decision in those remaining games where we could argue we would have got a point more or less and it's just mm. that complete unreasonableness that I, I've started just it almost entertains me because it's just so ridiculous what football power it's, it's idiocy yeah I mean we, we've had uh, bad decisions throughout the history of football I'm sure they were much worse in the old days when uh, you know lines people and refs yeah. were less fit and couldn't even keep up with play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the famous really? one being the 66 World Cup final where the, the linesman well, was, was a clear goal. absolutely exactly. no way he could have seen whether that was a goal or not. I <laughs> know. Oh, That's true. It took the cameras to prove categorically that it was a goal. I, I agree with that. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, the, one of the problems with VAR, though, is just an obvious statement, but it's been badly applied the whole point was to correct clear and obvious mistakes. So the the, the, Villa, the Villa one you've mentioned is, is different because the rule had to be like clarified and tightened up. Mm. But a lot of them, um, and I know a lot of people have said this, but spending like two minutes to track a line that's not even that accurate to prove if something's off, that surely was not the intention of of, bring, of bringing in VAR, was it? No. Or do you I... see it differently? No, I, I, I'd agree. I, I think the problem with offside is, is if you're using it and it's a black and white decision, it, you know, binary, isn't it? Offside, you're either offside or you're onside. And however close it is, wherever you draw the line, they seem to have drawn the lines in quite weird places where yep. if your shoulder is offside, that's offside. Whereas it used yeah. to be daylight between. And mm-hmm. and I just think if if, you know, any part of your body is level with the defender, you should be onside. And it just means that loads more goals are offside, and you would rather have more goals, wouldn't you? Yeah, but then you've still got a bit of a what? Const- at what point is it level? So that becomes the line. Then you see what I mean? Yeah, 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 be yeah, a line yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a bit subjective. So it's more about how long you take. If it has, if it takes you two minutes, is it? You know, shouldn't you just go with the linesman, like the cricket principle on call? I don't know. Yeah, but there's no. Uh, so the cricket, the proper cricket comparison would be run out, um, mm-hmm. where there is no middle ground. It's either in or it's out. And therefore, yeah. it was brought in probably in about 95 for, for run outs, and it was funding. Mm. Um, but yeah, the, the difficulty is, is it's that they haven't got the equivalent of umpire's call in there at the moment. Well, they have a line everything person else. Who's... Who's usually making that? There's the lines person who's usually making the offside decision. But, they they, but they've up. changed the way they make the decision because they know the technology's there. Exactly, but maybe they should go back to doing their jobs and putting the flag up if it's offside. And then, anyway, I, I just think it's been, <laughs> it, it's it's I, it's definitely not having the impact on football that it that was intended. Surely, because very few people are happy. No, um, with how it's going, but um. Yeah, that Villa one was a bit silly, though. I mean, yeah, a bit of a ridiculous decision. Clearly offside. Yeah. Clearly gained an advantage. To, to the, yeah. yeah, to the extent that um, there was one in, I think it was the, like, the Italian Super Cup was the same night, and virtually the same thing happened, where Ronaldo was coming back from offside. A guy chested it down, slightly miscontrolled it, and he, he robbed him. 
but like he robbed him and then stopped and laughed because it was so blatantly miles offside right. and everyone just stopped and the referee went well it's offside and gave it and yeah. it was just like so as it should be frustrating I mean don't get me wrong I'm sure you know we'd been back to the wall and whilst it was a good game I'm sure Man City would have you know got got a goal in the end but um, it just led on to it kind of encapsulated almost everything that's great thing about football at the moment and it feels like I'm watching way more football because it's on all the time and there's nothing else to do so yeah you know most sports are perhaps on tv as much but they're sticking to their normal slots rather than just stretching and being on more channels more of the time so yeah so yeah ran over so a lot more to moan about, basically. Yeah. So how about you? What, mm-hmm. what, what in the news has taken your... Uh... Uh, the, the Lampard sacking, which, um, yeah, when it wasn't, you know, it was it was, it was was trailed. I think, uh, you know, we could see it was coming. <laughs> but what, what were your thoughts on that, Harsh? <sighs> I, it did seem a little, little bit harsh. I think, I think when his record compared held up reasonably well in his early games to people like Arteta and Solskjaer but not that well compared to other Chelsea managers um, yeah and I think he he had a bit of a free hit last year and did well because we couldn't sign anyone and kind of had to make the best of it but I think you're always a bit more open to criticism if you spend loads of money and don't don't produce and they had to spend yeah. loads of money um, but I'm not convinced that Tuchel will be the right person. But mm. I don't really get Chelsea kind of there. They just seem to be success over anything else. There's no kind of way of playing or identity. And and what one thing I will speak about later is like what what you want from your team. Is it success or is it being as much like your team as they possibly can? <laughs> Mm. Um, and I think it feels like Chelsea are just. I mean, for Lampard, you take the Chelsea job. You've you've kind of got it coming, haven't you? Yeah, you're going to get sacked. You're going to get sacked. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> even if you've won the league the year before or the Champions League, you're going to get sacked if it goes yeah, yeah. slightly wrong. Exactly. Right. So, um, I mean, what what did you think? Yeah, I agree with what you said. I mean, you could you could argue that they showed him respect. You know, as a former legend, by treating him exactly the same way that they've treated their other managers. Yeah, <laughs> by yeah, that's you know fair. sacking him when form has been bad and bringing someone in who could. And to be fair to Chelsea, the the managers they've brought in usually midway through the season have had an immediate impact. Hiddink a couple of times, Benitez. Um, yeah, Avram Grant did he come in as a replacement? I can't remember, he, but he, um, yeah. That was the season. But, Wasn't that the season that um, Mourinho got sacked the first time they got to the Champions League final? Could, yeah, could well um, have been. And um, yeah, so you know, it, it's a it's a formula that that has worked before. So yeah, you've got to say fair enough. At least they've been consistent, despite the fact he's an absolute legend. He was always going to get sacked though, yeah. because they all do, unless they resign, which none of them have. So um, yeah, goodbye Lampard. Uh, be interesting to see where he turns up next hmm. yeah that, that's a weird thing with managers at the moment I think you sort of English managers get a bit of a go 
it seems like the championship is the sort of default entry point. So Rooney, Lampard, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and Derby specifically. Derby, yeah, yeah. Um, and you do all right there, and you get you get a hit out in a in a top level team. Um, but then it seems like once you failed that, it can be quite difficult to come back because who who would see Lampard as a good appointment now? Someone like Derby, you know, a, a formerly big side who are trying to push up, maybe. Mm. And he did yeah, alright in the I... championship because Derby weren't a great side um, and he mm. got them into the playoff final. And then it is a bit of a lottery, the playoff final. Yeah. Um, I reckon, yeah. Uh, 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 um, an ambitious championship side or, uh, you know, uh, yeah, something like that. If he takes a bit of time out, a relegated side from the Premier League, I can see that sort of job yeah. him, you know, going for. But um, One of the sides he did. He had a young squad. He, he did. Uh, what, a derby? At... Yeah. Well, he had half yeah. the Chelsea squad at derby, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, true. But he did have a young squad at Chelsea as well. So, uh, you know, he was being, as we've established, he was being judged by a, a different standard to any other club in terms of where, where you know, what he was doing. So I'm sure he'll be back and probably do a good job elsewhere. I could see him turning up. So, um, yeah, any other news? Um, I was just going to say, I could see him turning up at one of the teams who changes their manager every month, like Nottingham Forest or Watford. That, that would sort of match yeah. the the profile. True. So it'd be wise to avoid Forest, but yeah, I agree that would yeah. be a good profile. Mm. Anything else in the news that's caught your eye? Um, just a quick one on because I love a stat. Um, so Villa lost three two to Burnley. Um, mm. the XG score for that game was um something like 3-1 to Villa which was um, and the game where we beat Liverpool 7-2 I think the, the XG score was 3-2 to Villa <laughs> so it was actually a more one-sided game in Villa's favour despite the fact we lost than a five-goal victory so I, th- I quite like that <laughs> that, that, that is a good stat what, what are your views on expected goals generally do you think it's a useful thing <laughs> It's quite useful to assess a game you're not watching and have no intention of <laughs> yeah. watching whatsoever. That's but, true. I mean, I, I actually I quite liked it as a concept until I found out what the Villa Liverpool one was because right. I don't know if you watched that game. Oh, I remember messaging you because it clashed with NFL, so I don't think you did watch it. That's right. Is that we won seven two. There was a couple of deflected goals, so fair enough. And Liverpool did force Martinez into a couple of saves, but we should have had ten. Like we missed a hatful of sitters, and so I I just couldn't I couldn't get my head around it at all. So obviously not as many sitters as we missed against Burnley, but there you go. So they've got the current blue uh, bragging rights for now. They have, yeah, which yeah, is always nice. Like West Ham for it. Mm. So. <laughs> Cool, right, so that's what's happening in the news. Right, shall we move on then and have a, a deep dive into a couple of the uh, the big sporting events that have either just happened or are about to happen. Um, shall I kick off yeah, with um, 
Uh, Man U Liverpool from last weekend in the FA Cup. Um, our version, would you agree, of the Classico? The biggest, would you agree this is the biggest game uh, in English football? First, it would irritate there. a lot of people by saying that. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> I think I think it is. It is. I think if you looked from over an extended period of time, it does it does feel like it is. Um, yeah. And and we're, neither of us are fans of either team, so I think yeah. that is a, a fair a fair assessment. Yeah, I, I'm saying this as a, as an Arsenal fan who um, whose fixtures against Liverpool um, in the late 80s, early 90s were probably the biggest in terms of like winning the league, and then against Man U for obviously the Wenger Ferguson yeah. peak period. Um, but still, Man U have been the biggest club in England for a long time in terms of their global sort of um, fame and you know and support and Liverpool obviously in terms of their success um, and um, yeah I grew up in a Man United supporting household which has sort of scarred me uh, at times but what I thought oh actually first did you did you see the game the, the cup game uh, I did see quite a bit of it yeah mm, which was a good game yeah, it's quite um, un unrepresentative of the recent games because they have been yeah. by and large in the Premier League shit recently yeah um, really really bad um, but yeah proper cup time wasn't it yeah I um, I think man you were that sort of side at the moment and it helps that all of Liverpool's defence were injured so they can't mm. really sit back they've got to try and score more goals in the opposition but Man United have yeah. got quite tasty coming forward as well so um I I think it it was on the BBC I think which yeah I think helps because Sky usually put it in some prime slot and hype it up as like red sunday and it's always <laughs> yeah. dreadful it's and bad, I think the sort yeah. of lack of um hype was good and uh, I feel like the FA Cup's been a bit better this year it has I was thinking the same Good games, great goals, few shots. Yeah, a few shocks and some like non-league teams out of nowhere turning up, and um, mm-hmm. and I think you've had those couple of games where um, Villa included have had to put like kids out, which yeah. um, you know it's frustrating if you really want a cup run, but actually kind of adds a bit more of a, a story to it. So um, yeah, I uh, I did enjoy the game. Um, I mean yeah. what. But yeah, as a neutral, what, what good game? I thought I thought um, go for it. Sorry, <laughs> um, as a as a neutral, what what's your sort of well historic view of, of Man that is that, that's, that is that is an interesting question actually because um I've no, I noticed something in the league the dire league match um that was about a week or two before the cup game. Um, uh, my historical relationship with that game, I noticed an a generational change happening, <laughs> which I will explain. So, um, so as I've said, I sort of grew up in the period. Well, I grew up in a period where Liverpool were completely dominating. They dominated like through the seventies and obviously eighties. I think they won six league titles in the eighties. At one point, it was just them and Everton. Everton won two. It was that the Merseyside Monopoly, as it was called. Actually, our teams, Villa. I don't think you were born, but Villa and Arsenal were the only other two teams to win the league in that decade. Um, 
and yeah, as Arsenal grew sort of towards the end of that period, um, under George Graham, big big games against Liverpool uh, were, were deciding like league titles, um, including famously in '89. I'm sure that won't be the last time I mention that. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so they were they were big rivals, and frankly, throughout the '80s, the only team that seemed to do really well against them was Man U in the league. That they, they would turn out it would be like well. Doesn't matter what's going on in the league. Man, you could be having a dreadful season. They'd do well. They'd win, and it always gave gave me joy to see them win or draw against that dominant Liverpool side. Then, obviously, you get to the nineties, and um, Man, you become the dominant team, and Liverpool could, you know, for throughout the nineties and sort of early noughties, were actually pulling off some decent wins against them, and it shifted. My views on it shifted. I'd watch those games and think. Yeah, Liverpool, come on, Liverpool, want Liverpool to do well here. I despised that Man United team that early, particularly in the 90s. Absolutely despised them. Would support Liverpool um, against them. Um, And obviously, uh, as I've said, Arsenal-Man U rivalry was quite intense during a lot of that period as well, which played into it. Um, But I noticed for the first time since probably... Yeah, the the eighties watching that game, that I actually thought I was a bit dis. I think Pogba had a chance right at the end of that nil nil, and I wanted him to score, Man U to win. Which I was like, mm. and and trust me, even saying those words feels a bit wrong. But um, and I thought, I don't know, maybe that I don't know, maybe I've just I'm tired, I've had a hard day. You know, maybe that's that's what's going on here. Let me test this out by watching the FA Cup game and see what happens. And yeah, it's shifted. It's gone the other way now. I wanted Manu to win and was happy when they beat Liverpool. Um, yeah, weird. Yeah, I I would say um, a lot of people who I talk to about football um, had didn't have a massive soft spot for Liverpool last season. Um, I think they um, it was a bit much some of the sort of narrative about how you know they were kind of they were owed a title almost because they'd been so good the year before but they'd still lost to Man City and then they'd won the Champions League and they'd run it up in the Champions League and it was almost like their destiny Mm. and um, I know there's a few people who were like it'll be funny if the season gets cancelled in it um, yeah, I was on those. <laughs> but um, and so I think it, it's good that they are. It's going to be really open this year, and I suspect Liverpool mm. doesn't look like Liverpool are going to win it again. Um, so no, I don't know. I don't know. Still quite early. It is. I mean, we're only halfway through the season, aren't we? Which mm. by this time of year, we're normally further along. Um, I watched a bit of football yeah. focus earlier. And um, they said nine teams have been top of the league this year. So wow. this season. When was the last time that happened? Exactly. So well, it was people like I mean Villa were top for a bit. Southampton have been top. Yeah. Leicester have been top. I mean, obviously Leicester were top conspicuously a couple of years ago for a long time, but <laughs> yeah. um, you know they weren't really fancied before this year. So yeah, I think it's. Um, uh, I I feel like that's one of the drawbacks of being a really good side is you, there's a backlash against you um, mm. but I, I've always thought so for me the, the Man U Liverpool the thing that really sticks in my head is that the, there's a really famous game in 1994 which was a mm. three all draw 
And I yes. think it was on terrestrial TV. So at the time we didn't have Sky, wow. and it was live on TV. So I watched it. And I think I was allowed to stay up late and watch it. And it was Man U when they were absolutely top draw, and Liverpool when they weren't brilliant. But you should put it out against Man U. Mm-hmm. And I had this recollection that Man U stormed into a three 0 lead, and then Liverpool scored three goals towards the end and like equalised injury time. So yeah. I looked the game up pretty wrong, I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> on the, the goal timings. So Man U, went, Man U went up. Do you remember that game? I do. Doesn't Paul Lintz get one of the Liverpool goals and celebrates wildly? Uh, therefore, oh, is that the one? Is that the mm, game I'm thinking of? No. Um, no, you're right. It would have been in about United then. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ince was at Liverpool okay. later. So yeah. you'll enjoy who scored the equaliser though, because I, I did. Okay. So um, Man United were three 0 up in twenty four minutes, but wow. on thirty eight minutes the score was three two. So basically, it was almost level at half time, and then Liverpool were knocking on the door and equalised with eleven minutes to go through Neil Ruddock. Who, ah, now I remember. I mean, surprising that he played seventy-nine minutes. I would say, <laughs> especially as he probably would have been torn a new one in that first twenty-four minutes where yeah. they went three, three to that. Um, but yeah, so I remember that because I remember Man United had a black kit with like blue and yellow trim, which was quite. Mm-hmm. A revolution at the time. I remember when it first came out, everyone was like, well, what are the referees going to wear? And it was quite unusual. Yeah. But that's the one that sticks in my head. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few that I remember. Well, Liverpool in their white suits in the 96 uh, yeah. FA Cup final. Yeah. Epitomising that, that, that era of, of Liverpool team, I thought, is, is, is quite a standout one. I remember a three-all back in the 80s I think it was a three or two or three or uh, Man U at Anfield, and this is one of the great Liverpool teams. It might have even been the '88 team that they got that that uh, result against that I absolutely loved, inspired by Brian Robson. Um, yeah, um, yes, great fixture. It's one of the few big fixtures that don't involve Arsenal that I can. Watch. I hate. I mean, Chelsea versus Liverpool or Chelsea versus Man U. I usually unwatchable filth. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, there's a bit of yeah. car crash for me for Chelsea's Tottenham because, but I just, if someone wins, I'll be annoyed. Um, so, what I really, my favourite Chelsea Tottenham game ever was the mm. one where Chelsea beat them so that Leicester won the league. So, oh, Chelsea cool. didn't really get anything out of it, but yeah. it ruined Tottenham's season. And then Tottenham lost the plot and should have had about brilliant sent off and it was absolutely that was amazing brilliant. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah most most of my uh, favorite football games that don't involve arsenal involve some sort of pain for spurs <laughs> so that one is right right up there <laughs> absolutely uh yeah so yes manu liverpool good game lived up to the billing and uh yeah has clearly changed my, my views on that fixture for the time being. So, yes. Week today is the first week of the Six Nations, all things being all things being equal and in this ever-changing world. Um, 
I am a Scotland rugby fan, and uh, which I get from my dad. Um, my mum was English, so she didn't really support England until she realised I was going to support Scotland, um, and then started playing, started supporting England fairly viciously, which I'll come on to. Cause it's quite a good story about that. Um, and the first game of the Six Nations is England versus Scotland at Twickenham a week today. Um, so the good sort of good storyline, because you know sport is nothing without a juicy narrative, mm-hmm. is that um, Scotland have picked Cameron Redpath, who his his dad played for Scotland uh, during the sort of late nineties, early two thousands. Was a good, very good player, but. Cam Redpath grew up in England and was actually picked for England 18 months ago, got injured, never played, and um, we have stolen him from the English, depending on which papers you read um, wow. and which coach you listen to. So, um, yeah, his but his dad did play with Gregor Townsend, who's currently the Scotland coach, uh, so that probably had something to do with it. But also, it's been Redpath's been a very good player this season in the Premier League, so um, uh, so Premiership, and is in a play in a position where Scotland are quite short, which is actually most positions actually. But yeah, um, so yeah, so it's a, a nice, tasty narrative, and it looks like the rumours are that he will be starting on his international debut against England next week. Ooh, so that's an interesting choice for him to take. Um, given the choice, you would some some would argue <laughs> when you've got the opportunity to play for England and potentially ch- challenge for winning stuff. <laughs> I mean, how are how 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 are Scotland's fortunes at the moment? Would you say is it an up or a down period? Um, well, <laughs> there's never up periods. <laughs> I think it's really key to to yeah. Uh, period being an extended time, so okay, yeah, yeah. If we have uh, euphoric victories, they're normally immediately followed by debilitating loss, like the week <laughs> after. So um, the, um, I mean, what bizarrely, because because growing up, I sort of flitted between England and Scotland a bit because I didn't really, you know, I didn't think you had to make a choice, and you're young and naive, and and I went down. Um, so the 1994 Calcutta Cup which was at Murrayfield, my dad invited me to go and watch it around a friend's house, one of his friend's house, and there was like 15 guys there watching it, so it was quite rowdy, um, and they were obviously on the beer, so I'd have been 11 or 12, um, and um, basically Scotland were playing really well, and were leading for most of the game, and it sort of went, and then with about five minutes to go we were losing, and the aforementioned Gregor Townsend dropped a goal, uh, Johnny Wilkinson style, to win it for Scotland. And I was like, amazing. Me and my dad were like, going mental. And I was just like, this is brilliant. I'm going to be a Scotland fan forever. Um, I mean, from the kickoff, England turned the ball over, got an unjustified penalty, and kicked with the last kick of the game, kicked it to win it. And I went home and cried. <laughs> I was like, and since then, I've just been a Scotland fan. So, you know, and the what I mentioned earlier about the team being the most kind of your team it can possibly be, it's just the heartache yeah. and snatching defeat from the jaws of victory is it's part of being a Scotland rugby fan. It's um, in the DNA. 
it really is um and you know some of the the, the games we've lost from seemingly unassailable positions um and the the um so but it's not it's not always up and down we had we were fairly exclusively shite from i would say about 2004 to about 2012 that's quite an extended period yeah so odd odd wins we sort of usually did all right against england we had a few wins against england that period and um south africa bizarre though we we could turn over occasionally but um and then sort of gradually there were more and more wins um and then in i'd say since about 2014 2015 we've been a decent side we we should have got to the semi-finals of the world cup in 2015 lost to an unjustified last minute penalty against australia mm-hmm. classic um and so since then we've been fairly competitive in the six nations and sort of finished mid table um and the talk is always every year is this going to be our year that we can thread it together and win it and it never is because we'll, we'll lose one of the games hideously to, to ireland so um is this going to be your year <laughs> could be um i mean i don't personally like it when we start against england because for me it's the biggest game so mm. i'd rather we had a couple of warm-ups you know a, a couple of matches to set the scene to see where each team is yeah um, so the fact that there's no fans at twickenham means i think we stand a better chance um mm. but the uh two years ago was the most remarkable rugby match between England and Scotland ever and I was lucky enough to be there and that really kind of sums up where Scotland are is that we were 31-0 down in in half an hour and then we're 38-31 up with 30 seconds to play and we still didn't win (laughs) that was incredible even my mum managed to watch that one somehow and and couldn't believe it she never watches rugby um that that's one of the most extraordinary rugby game rugby games ever let alone that fixture it yeah even sport i mean sports yeah any sport i've watched mm-hmm. certainly live it's the most amazing thing i've been at live but in yeah. terms of the greatest things you've ever watched on tv or anything i mean yeah. we we scored a charge down try to make it 31 7 and i stood up and was like telling everyone it's on we're coming for you you know like joking <laughs> And then we started score, and we we scored six tries on the reel, and that, and that's just absolutely peak Scotland, like just un unbelievably terrible. And actually, we weren't terrible. That England played really well for half an hour, and then we were world mm-hmm. beaters for half an hour, mm-hmm. and then it sort of settled down for a bit, and then we still couldn't close it out. And um, yeah, it was in, incredible, really. Um, yeah. But yeah, and and England are kind of the, I mean. They what winds me up about England fans is is a lot of them say I don't like I don't understand why Scottish fans support everyone against England like we don't support everyone against you and it's just a sort of a little bit condescending it's like yeah but you're you're like the empire you've got more players than everyone else you've got more money than everyone else you know you yeah. should be winning the World Cup fairly regularly mm-hmm. like given the resources there. Yeah, it's a bit you can't obvious, complain that everyone that hates question. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, 
Ireland are fast coming up on the rails because they've been quite dislikable, mm. certainly about Scotland for a number of years, and they seem to have a beer in their bonnet, particularly about Scotland, um, mm. about talking ourselves up about how good we are. <laughs> to which, the, and then Ireland go, yeah, but you always lose, and and the response is like, yeah, but what are we going to do? Just turn up and go, yeah, we're terrible, but we'll give it a go. <laughs> I mean, you've got to talk yourselves up a bit, haven't you? Of course. So, um, yeah, so yeah. Um, so what I'm hoping for is is really a game where we give a decent account of ourselves, but we'll pro- we probably won't win. But scoring some well-being try, you know, yeah, would would do would do me really. Um, okay. I mean, we've got. What's this? Sorry, go on. So what? When is when when is uh, this one on? Uh, Saturday at three thirty, I think. Okay. So, oh, is that the first? Is there a Friday night one this 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 time? Was that the first the kickoff for the whole? No, I think I think there is a game at sort of twelve thirty. So I think it's the second uh-huh. game. Oh, uh, okay. And then there's one on Sunday. So, um, so yeah, I think you know a couple of Scotland's key players are in quite good form. Um, mm-hmm. So Stuart Hogg moved to Exeter Chiefs, who then promptly won the league and the European Cup. And then Finn Russell is just. Um, a bonkers player that anything could happen but that that's the fun like so it's fun yeah, supporting yeah. Scotland at the minute because you never know what's going to happen whereas obviously like I said for 12 years it was no fun supporting them because I knew what was going to happen <laughs> and even our <laughs> wins were dour like grind out affairs yeah um, and really you just want your team to be the most like so we are like at the moment we are 110% peak Scotland <laughs> and that's that's all you can really ask for off the so, scale Scotland because we're never going to win the World Cup so it's like well obviously I'd love that if we did but mm. it's not going to happen so you've kind of got to you've got to have your um, take your joy where you can find yeah. it so um, so what's this um, what's this um, about you becoming a, a, a Scotland fan and then your mum be, being a, becoming a England fan so my mum she's um so she wasn't really a massive follower of sport, but um, her her dad was massively into cricket, and he was the one who got me into cricket. Um, but she didn't quite really get the right level of banter. She didn't really understand how it worked, and didn't, right. didn't kind of get that that football and rugby were a bit different and all that sort of thing. So, so I I actually don't actively support whoever's playing England. I it depends who it is really, um, but. Um, in 2007, uh, so 2003 World Cup when England won the World Cup, I sort of kept fairly neutral. Like I didn't, I didn't really want Australia to win. Um, and then 2007 was the one where England were pretty rubbish as a team, but they had Johnny Wilkinson and he just kind of dragged them kicking and screaming to the final, at which they nearly won in the end. Um, but the semi-final was on. Um, and I was watching in a pub with my sister, and it was um, England France in Paris. Yeah. And Johnny Wilkinson kicked a winning drop goal, I think, or a penalty, and they win by like two points. And you know, I'm sort of cheering because I, you know, I'm not, I'm not got massive amounts of sympathy for France either. You know, like, but I, I quite like, I quite like France as a team because they're bonkers like Scotland are, and you know, they yeah. can do anything as well. But they weren't really playing like that, so it didn't. It wasn't a, like a vintage French team. I got a little text from my mum, which must I was like, oh, this will be a test text of celebration, saying, oh, brilliant, we're in the we're in the final. Eat shit and die. <laughs> it's like, 
I wasn't supporting France. It's <laughs> just like <laughs> absolutely bizarre. <sighs> so yeah, and my mum wasn't a massive texter either. So I was like, is that is that meant for oh. me? But I, I really hope it is meant for me because if it's meant for someone else, what's she sort <laughs> yeah. up to? So yeah, um, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to say, considering how. Uh, yeah, even even I, when Scotland have a bad uh, result, I'm very careful about what I say, send to you. That that is quite that that is award-winning stuff to send that <laughs> to your own son. Unbelievable! Wow. Well, yeah. So yeah. I mean, to, as a sort of measure of my Scotland, <sighs> uh, kind of the the lack of confidence you have as a fan. I watched. Uh, so my stag do we went to Murrayfield Scotland Wales I watched that game back yesterday in full because I wondered how much I'd remember so turns out a lot of the first half not much of the second half apart from the the tries Um, I still didn't think we'd win it in the second half I was like there was periods where Wales was going to get back into this and win now so yeah there you go that sums it up nicely so yeah, so I suspect England will shade it next week, but um, it's just the occasion. I, I'm, I, and I can. There's been some pretty crap Calcutta Cups in mm. recent years. So there's, there was, last year it was like some typhoon was blowing, so it was almost impossible to play rugby, and it was a really bad game. That yes, I remember that now. I was going to say I don't remember it, but as soon as you said that, yeah, yeah it's terrible. Was... One of the worst games of rugby I've ever seen. Yeah, but at least. There was part of it was because you couldn't play rugby and they were sort yeah. of trying, but it wasn't brilliant execution. Like, there's been games where it's been perfectly dry, and there was a 15 all draw about ten years ago, which was awful. And then there was one game where Murrayfield was infested with worms, and no one, if you tried to change direction, you just fell over. And it was, I think it was like <laughs> 20 nil to England or something, but they were massively in ascendance for the whole game. It was just toss and mm. it was just one of those uh, Scotland subsided it was rubbish so yeah so I'm just hoping that we give a decent account of ourselves and, and hopefully pull off something but hopefully it's just a decent game mm-hmm. look forward to that one good okay right so um, as we said earlier time to move on to uh to the next bit which is in fact I'll let you describe what this is Tom yeah so the thinking behind this was was we'd finish with a bit of a list um, and um, bizarrely this this has got a title which we got to even though the podcast doesn't yet um, so uh, we we were going to call it gold silver bronze but we wanted four in the list so what do you call the place after bronze and I tried to find out who's got the most Olympic fourth places because everyone says that's the worst place to finish. And the only one I could ever remember and associate with fourth place was decathlon Dean Macy, who always seemed a really nice bloke, um, but just seemed to be like the fourth best every time I watched. Um, and when I looked it up, he has got two Olympic fourth places so um, yeah and it would just it would get to the point where like in the final race he'd beat his personal best by a minute and then but the guy in third would beat his personal best by two minutes and <laughs> he'd edge him out by like 0.5 of a second it was just absolutely bonkers um, so 
But one of the reasons I reckon I, I remember Dean Macy is that about four, three or four years ago, he was on Celebrity Total Wipeout. So you know that oh, show. Yeah. It's a knockout. But, and he set the record for the course. Mm. And it's like 20 seconds for the whole thing. And the, you know the balls? Yeah. He just ran across. Well, you've got to run across. Really? Yeah. <laughs> like one foot on each, just ran across. And everyone was like, I didn't even think you could do that. Like, I thought we had to jump slowly from one to the other. And it was uh, absolutely mental. And, and he's clearly an unbelievable sportsman. Like, he's mm. just, I mean, wow. to be fourth best in the event that's actually 10 events. Unbelievable! It's really so, good. If so, only, uh, if only Total Wipeouts course had been the tenth event, <laughs> yeah. we'd have to come up with a new name for this. Yes. So we can officially title it in his honour because mm-hmm. I do have a lot of respect for him. I'm not taking the piss. Gold, silver, bronze, <laughs> Dean Macy. Okay. Good. Um, so, so the aim is to today, come then? up with a list of four examples, and um, because of the Cameron Medpath. Uh, thing we discussed earlier uh, my idea was um, to sort of have some parent-child combos but to have something slightly unusual so I I quite like it like if they play a completely different position or they look completely different or something like that so so I've I've got a few I'm sure you've got a few do you want to kick off uh, yeah go on then I've got um, what should I start well the first one I thought of that I just thought was interesting was um and we've mentioned him already today, uh, Frank Lampard. Right. And Frank Lampard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, um, so not only, you know, are they, well, clearly from the same family and have the same name um, and the same career and started at the same, cl- well, made their name at the same club, but the fact that they are pretty much the same person as well physically <laughs> at the same age right let me explain so when frank lampard was um was quite was younger he didn't really look anything like uh, his dad right and it was like uh yeah you know um can't, he's not really a chip off the old block sort of thing very different and as he's got older he has pretty much um morphed into <laughs> exactly what his dad was at the end of his career um, and it is it is unbelievable in the same way that Margaret Thatcher sort of morphed into her spitting image puppet Frank <laughs> Lampard Jr. is now um, pretty much what Frank Lampard was senior, see it's confusing when he ended his career um, so I thought that was worthy of um, uh, inclusion potentially I thought I think if you, and if you there's a picture. There's a pic. This picture of Frank uh, Lampard. I've just sent it to you. Have a look at it, actually, uh, with a beard. I'm talking about the senior one at the end of his career. That's that. Take off the beard. That's Frank Lampard now. He's turned into him. I, I like the to test if someone's old. You should ask them. Do, they, do you remember when he was called Frank Lampard Junior? Because I'd forgotten. <laughs> and then now you mention it. I do remember. I mean, surely that that's the sign of success. If you're known as like Frank Lampard Junior. But then you lose the junior. But you are now Frank yeah. Lampard. So yeah, yeah. Um, because I I yeah. quite like um, how 
<laughs> I like the how unimaginative it is to name your children the same name as you. But I also mm. what I love is in America where it's you have like Dave Smith Senior, Dave Smith Junior, and then Dave Smith the Third. Yeah, like a monarch. <laughs> yeah, and there's a what, few golfers what? where that's come up. Yeah, there's and um, uh, a few in baseball, I think as well. What what I find the pressure though. So if you have a kid and it's male, you can't break that chain, surely. I mean, that's surely yeah. an insult to your whatever it be, grandfather or whatever. If you don't just continue doing it for all time, no. Yeah, I. It, right? I mean, it takes a choice it's out. It's a of statement, hands. doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a statement to not go with it. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, so for first for consideration is is Frank Lampard and Frank Lampard. Very good. Okay. Well, I, I've got mm-hmm. I've got a theory um, about. Okay. Uh, so I reckon that uh, professional sport offspring are better looking than their. They get better looking by the generation, and it's because these famous sports people often attract. Uh, aesthetically pleasing partners, and therefore you get the uh, the combination, mm-hmm. uh, which then produces these offspring who are both really good at sport and very attractive. So the one I, mm-hmm. the most stark example I could come up with, was, um, and this is I've got some proper eighties and nineties in here. So, so uh, I think he's nineties tennis player. Peter Corder. Do you remember him? Okay. So he, I do remember yeah, him. Tennis player. Um, mm-hmm. I he, seem to remember he was sort of quite an angular sort of... Yeah, so I've put in my notes, he looks a little bit like a character from Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> right. He's yep. sort of got quite an odd... He, or he looks like the Scarlet Pimpernel in Blackadder. A kind of <laughs> okay. quite an odd sort of, yeah, triangular sort of shape head. Yeah. So And like a number Long of neck. sort of eastern bloc countries they ended up moving to America to make their sporting millions so he's got two daughters uh, one of whom is actually very good and I think the other one is still professional and they are pro golfers on the ladies PGA Tour so I like it because it's a different sport but I Mm -hmm. think if they weren't named the same you would have no idea they were related and I assume that Mrs. Corder is some kind of model. So <laughs> I just have a look, and I, I, yeah, I see, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, you wouldn't, yeah, necessarily associate them with the Peter Corder picture that I've just seen. So yeah, yeah. so so that was one I I liked. So that was a, that's a strong example um, of yeah that backs up your theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, nice. Over to you. Um, I've got an obscure one, Lovely. which actually came up where, and you're one of the few people I know who may even be aware <laughs> of this. Of, of this. Um, uh, which came up when I was actually thinking about it's cricket, a, a different cricketer, and then I stumbled across um, this. So that I, so uh, the um, the Nawab. Of Pataldi, have you heard of of the <laughs> Nawab of Pataldi, a cricketer 
uh, Indian cricketer who played for England in the Body Line series in the uh, in nineteen thirty-two, thirty-three. Right. Um, Rings and bells. So yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say I, I know I, this, but I, it's not new. But yeah. <laughs> right. He's um, uh, so that was a title, an empire-related title that was established um, apparently by the British East India Company uh, in the early eighteen hundreds. Uh, his full name was uh, Muhammad Iftkar Ali Khan Siddiqui Pataudi, and, and the Wikipedia entry says sometimes I A K Pataudi. <laughs> I would think <laughs> the majority of the time. Yeah, exactly. For the benefit of caption writers of the early 20th century, presumably. But um, so he, so I did know about him. So he played in that Bodyline test, uh, Bodyline series, played in the first test for England. Um, um, and scored a century in it on his debut, which is good. Bodyline test, obviously, bodyline being the sort of leg theory that yeah. um, Douglas Jardine, the captain, uh, put in place to try and counteract um, uh, Don Bradman, uh, who's the best cricketer. Oh, yeah, just as quick aside, best cricketer um, around at that time. Best cricketer of all time, would you say? Yeah, it's hard to judge, really, isn't it? Because. Mm. Get everything about the game is different, so yeah, true. Um, but so, obviously, you're yeah. The the stats in the mix. bear that out. Yeah, exactly. Um, it didn't actually work the body line on him. He did well, but England did win the series. But anyway, so then the Wab of Pataldi played in that test, and there, but apparently in that test he refused to line up in um, that body line formation, um, and was dropped after the next test um, and I'm not sure he played for England again um, after that or he may have had one more appearance for England but what I didn't realise is that his son uh, then became a professional cricketer as well who, the ninth and final Nawab of Pataudi um, played for um, uh, his name's Mansoor he played for India um, 46 times uh, made a century in his te- debut series against England. Three, a few months after losing an eye in a car accident. That is a good effort. 40, <laughs> Forty-six ca- uh, caps and captained his country. Uh, I thought that is, yeah, that's not, that isn't bad. Uh, uh, and I thought, yes, that was worth a worthy uh, contender to enter uh, to either be on the podium or in the Dean Macy spot. Um, that is a good. That is a good one. I've got mm. I've got a couple of spin-off <laughs> stories from, from that. Spin-off. So the, see what you did there. So the, the first observation <laughs> I have is is Nawab of Pataldi. So our local curry takeaway is called Nawab to go. And they have also right. been recently unceremoniously dropped because they're um, they've changed their approach to, to packaging the naan bread, and it's an absolute deal breaker. So, <laughs> the most brutal droppings in nineteen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, but yeah, I do like um, the sort of off, offspring of, of, of famous sportsmen, and, and obviously we're talking about ones that are good. But you do sometimes come across, um, obviously, ones who are less good, which is maybe one for another time. But I played a game, a couple, of, a game of cricket two years ago, where have you heard of Raman Subaru? 
he's a cricketer. No. It's a quite a distinctive name, but again, I think um, sort of forties, fifties, nineteen forties, fifties, English international of an Indian extraction. Um, I'd need to check all that. That's that's my understanding of it. But a very very unique surname, obviously Subaru. Well, his great grandson or grandson played in this game against me mm. in the same team as Chris Tarrant's son. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Not expecting that. <laughs> He's also um, on a Radio X DJ. So, yeah. But anyway, uh, to add excitement, cool. I always think that when you play really amateur sport against someone who's famous for something else, that's always quite fun. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've got a couple of um, father-son uh, same sport, but actually same pitch. So, uh, okay. I'm sure you'll be aware of this first one. Um, 24th of April, 1996. Mm-hmm. Arna Gajonson is substituted, playing for Iceland away, crucially, because we'll come back to why that's crucial, and right. replaced by Chelsea, Ida. Barcelona, and Bolton legend. Idega Johnson, his son. They didn't put them on the same pitch at the same time because they wanted it to happen at home. Ida subsequently got injured, Arna retired, and they never played together for Iceland. This is why, you know, you shouldn't put, you know, seize the moment. Yeah, don't mess with fate. Absolutely. Exactly. So, um, but there's also a, a more current one. I'm sure you're aware of that one. So, um, mm-hmm. as does your cricketing knowledge extend to the West Indies batting lineup of the late late nineties and early two thousands? Yeah, sort of. I think. Actually, it's probably way more recent than that. But he's been playing for a West Indies forever. Shivnarayan Chandapal. Of course, yeah. Still turning out for Ghana in his forties. Sorry, Guyana. Guyana, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say what? <laughs> <laughs> With his son, Tajenarine. Who really? also plays for Ghana, for Guyana. God, so Guyana. Guyana, yeah. And Guyana. Right. <laughs> um, and what happened in one of the first games where they were on the pitch together, Shivnarine ran him out, obviously. So. <laughs> Competitive dad. Yes. So so I do I do like that one. But they did in a club game, so be playing below sort of Guyana representative, so Guyana Premier, they put on two hundred and fifty six. I was like, do you, you imagine being in this team? It's like, the guy he's played for the West Indies for the longest and his son, who's probably going to be pretty tasty. So, just chasing leather in the Caribbean heat for five hours. Shandapal, he was known for his long innings, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, later on, yeah, certainly. Well, he, mm. he played for the West Indies at a time when he was like howling it together. He was the only one who could stay in for very long. Mm. So, yeah, he's... Um, so, I think... Uh, yeah, he... he wow. So I did. I do like that. Um, that is good. Um, mm-hmm. So I've I've got another uh, one more, um, which is a boxing one, and um, yeah, there's a few boxing sort of father and, and and son things. But then I thought, ah, actually, so obviously the greatest of all time, not just in boxing but in any sport, is Muhammad Ali. Um, and you would think that his offspring might go into the sport as well. He had nine kids, 
So, you know, it only takes one of them to go into yeah. it. Seven daughters. And um, it was one of his daughters, Layla Ali, who ended up going into, into boxing and doing rather well, considering you're following the greatest who's ever um, put on a pair of boxing gloves or probably done any sport. Uh, so she um, was uh, the eighth of his nine children. Um, she re retired undefeated, having held the WBC WIBA, IWBF, and IBA female super middleweight titles, and the IWBF light heavyweight title, undefeated in uh, 19 contests. Um, not bad. He apparently tried to uh, to stop her. Well, I think this is a rite of passage for all boxers that the boxing parents <laughs> tried to stop them yeah. from coming in. <laughs> but she was like, no. Apparently, and it wasn't him that got his success that got her into it because she said when she was young, women didn't box and then she finally yeah. when they started showing it on telly she saw some brute absolutely brutal stuff blood everywhere and she said yeah that's what i want to do <laughs> i got into the sport and uh and and did that for uh she had about a career of about eight nine years and achieved all of that not bad if you're following yeah muhammad Ali, i think that is um that is impressive mm. so mm. yeah i think yeah yeah i mean i think i think i've got I've just got a couple of brief ones. Yeah. Um, Go on. One of them I don't class. One of them is a sport. So, um, but uh, in terms of expectations caused by your father, I think um, Alf Inger Harland was pretty mm. mediocre as a professional. I would suggest. Yeah, he sort of would do a job in a yeah. team. Yeah, do a job. You know, in a good team, he could do a job. Yeah. So I can only assume his wife must have been a very good footballer because Erling Braut-Holland looks incredible. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I like that just completely different type of player who looks Absolutely. completely different capability. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one I've got is... Um, so you're a big NFL fan, so I'm, I'm not very sure so. how uh, famous this guy is. So James Laurinaitis... So he is no, a, one I know uh, a linebacker and mm. holds, I think, the tackling record for the Rams, I think. So he's, he's a good player, but not in the most glamorous position. His dad was one half of the Legion of Doom, the <laughs> WWF tag team from the 90s. That's brilliant. <laughs> so I was very pleased with that. <laughs> but that it's not really a sport, is it? Because it's... Um, it's entertainment more than a sport, but um, it is. It counts. It counts for these purposes, I think. I found a, po a photo of the guy from the NFL wearing the like the spiked armor of the Legion of Doom, and his dad dressed in like the uh, right. the Rams. Well, it was before they were in LA, but yeah, the the Rams like American football kit, and it's just classic. Like, that, um, that is brilliant. Classic tabloid photo shoots. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That is good. That is really good. I think that deserves a place in in, in at least <laughs> a, a Dean Macy slot. At least. Oh, I think because it's a bit left field. I think maybe that. Well, maybe we could do that. So the Dean Macy one's got to be the more, most the more left field selection. Yeah. So we can put Joe and James Laurinaitis. I'm going to try and Google it so I can send it to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, that's in, they, could, they could slot in. In the in the Dean Macy slot, 
and then we can go. I feel. The... I, I feel like with um, with this conversation, you 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 you've got to put in um, the Gajonsons. That is such, just such a classic one of the genre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That that needs to be on the podium. Yeah, I think. Um, I I think the uh, Nawab of Pataldi is. It's an era I wasn't expecting to cover. So I think, <laughs> indeed, I think, and yeah, then perhaps, uh, yeah, uh, Leila Ali in in gold for the sheer weight of expectation. Yeah, um, and that's a that a nice good. a nice little spread. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. and then if Tajenarine Chandapool you know gets into the West Indies team and starts batting like a crab, then we can yeah. we can revisit. We revisit exactly at that stage. <laughs> Excellent. Good. good stuff. All right. Very good stuff. I think we're uh, we're done. Unless you've got anything else. No, no. That's all. That's all from me for now. So. Um, well, yeah. Look good. I enjoyed time. that. Very good. Absolutely. See you soon. Cheers. <laughs>